Well, we have two sermons left in the book of Romans. We've managed to get through the book of Romans, and today we're going to look at verses 20 through 23, entitled this Dealing with Evil, and as Paul responds, and next week we close out looking at how awesome God is and share the Lord's Supper together. This is also our picnic in the evening. One word you noticed in your bulletin, tonight, instead of usually meeting together here for worship, we're going to meet here at 445 and go to First Baptist Damascus together in order to um, have a joint worship service together. They have been having evening um, concerts. They've invited the churches all to come together. So I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to worship with other believers. This little hole here is not the whole church. We belong together even though we're not in the same building. It gives us a chance to worship with others. Uh, but today we're going to look, turn with me to Romans 16, verses 20 through 23, as we look at uh, our message. I ask you to stand in God's honor. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Let's pray. Master, it is always good to enter your presence. It is always good to recognize that every blessing is from you. Father, we were designed to elevate you we were designed to reflect you, the one true light. And this morning, Father, as we look at a group of people that, Father, you brought into Paul's path that he loved and that he cherished. And as we are reminded of evil that is alive and well around us, you speak to us, Father, about the importance of hope and joy. And I just pray as we look at your word this morning, Father, we might be reminded of how great a salvation there is in Jesus Christ. And who through Him, the answer is always blessed. So Lord, speak to our hearts as we continue on. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The book of Romans is often considered to be a type of Christian constitution. A book that has so much wonderful truth of God, so much doctrine, so much truth for us to grasp. And yet it is interesting, as you look at the book, in verse 20 here, the first verse that we read together, is the only direct mention of the devil. Whereas it is true, in Romans chapter 8, there's this beautiful close to the chapter where Paul says, I'm convinced, and then he goes on to have a list of that which he's convinced cannot separate us from the love of God. And one of those is I'm convinced that neither angels nor demons 
can separate us from God's love. So you see, even there, when he, when he talks about evil, when he talks about darkness, when he talks about the enemy of God and his people, he says, I'm convinced that that is not a power that can separate you from the perfect love of God. Now we come to this section of Scripture where he mentions Satan by name. And I think I think that there's always a reason as we look at Scripture. And I believe the reason is he wants our focus to be not upon Satan, who is a, an adversary that we're to take seriously, but we're not to be constantly thinking about how he brings us to think we're defeated and how he takes away our joy and how he, he robs us of the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. Instead, the, the book focuses upon the fact that God has come to free us. The book points out in the first few chapters that we are sinners and that we need God and that we're just a mess. And it says it over and over again. Then you come to the end of chapter 6 in there and he says... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so there is, there is hope that, that is mentioned through the book that, that is clearly shared. And Paul, as he speaks, he, he, he brings forth that hope that, that comes through salvation in the word that is to be shared. And it made me think of the prophet Jeremiah that said, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my Heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. And, and Paul, too, he had had a, a personal experience with a living God that changed everything. He, he understood that God loved him. He understood that God died for him. He understood that God gave him a new start and a new hope and a new life. And Paul wasn't just an a intellectual that, that knew a lot of Bible and a lot about God. He loved people. And as we come to this section of Scripture, and we're going to look at this later on, a section of people that are very dear to him. But I think as we think about evil, go back to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And of course we read about the serpent. He was more crafty than any of the other wild animals. And then we read about there was just one law, one rule. Don't eat the fruit of this tree. It's forbidden. And of course that's what happened. Adam and Eve partook of that fruit. They ate of that fruit. They disobeyed God. And as a result, there was a curse. You know, I love during uh, Freak Week, during our uh, opportunity for, for camp for the youth that we had recently, uh, our teacher, Penny, had, had talked about the fact that, you know, although God had created this place to be a place of blessing, that the land is cursed. And the people are cursed because of sin that, that has entered the equation. And, and, and that's what happened here. We read about it in chapter 3. and um, We'll start here at verse 12. God nails Adam. You know, you're, you've sinned. You've broken this one command. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the blame game begins. The real culprit is the woman. And the, well, now the woman speaks. And so then God, the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate. And so she began to, to pass the blame and said, hey, It's not me. It's the, it's the serpent. And the whole point as we go through the first part of Romans is, 
is God speaking through his servant Paul and saying, there's no one else to blame. It's me. I love years ago, G.K. Chesterton, who was a Christian thinker of another generation, uh, there was a newspaper article that invited people to write in and to explain what's wrong with the world. And so Chesterton wrote back and he only wrote three words. It is me. And the truth of the matter is that that is where the salvation really we're able to receive it is when we see we need it. When we see that we're in need of a savior and one to reach out to us. And there, as long as we sit and we blame someone else, we blame circumstances or, or we blame some person. We can't really receive the full blessing of God. That's what happened in the census. I heard a story about a man. He was afraid his wife was losing her hearing. And so this one doctor gave him some advice. He said, get within 40 feet of her and say something and see if she can hear you. And if she can't hear you, move closer and repeat what you said until you're sure you can, she can hear you so you'll know. And so he said, that sounds like a good idea. So he came home one day and he came in the house. He stood about 40 feet from her and he said, What's for supper? No response. So he moved in 10 feet. Then he said, what's for supper? Still no response. So he moved in 10 more feet. What's for supper? Still nothing. So he got, I mean, right next to her. And he said, what's for supper? And she said, for the fourth time, chicken. She could hear all along. He was the one with the problem. Man, that's that's the point here. I'm the one with the problem. And that's what God was trying to get through. Now, now the other side of this is when we seek to take personal responsibility and say, I'm the problem for everybody. And we become crushed under that problem. And we lose the sight of hope and we become so depressed. It's like, why am I even here? Because I am so messed up. I am such a sinner. There's no hope. I, you know, I love uh, the biography of Martin Luther, you know, the great Protestant reformer. He, he was a guy, as a, as a teenager, they pegged him early that he was very smart. He ended up going to college when he was 13 years old to study to be a lawyer. <laughs> and then one day when he was 21 years old and he was practicing law, he he was headed to a town and there was a thunderstorm and lightning came very close to hitting him and killing him. And he was so scared and he trembled so much. He said, God, you have spared my life. And out of gratitude to you, Lord, I'm going to become a monk. And so he went to a monastery. He became a monk. And I mean, he was the monk of monks, you know. He slept on the hard ground. He fasted and tortured his body. He, he followed rules very strictly and he said, if there's anybody who could have earned salvation, man, it was me. But he was tortured by Romans chapter 1, verse 17. This says, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. And, and the teaching he had always heard in the, in the churches from God's teachers is that God is the only one who is righteous. And so therefore, you deserve God's punishment. You deserve to go to hell. And so he heard that over and over and he was, he was 
burdened by that. And that's why he was the, the monk of monks, man. That's why he worked so hard. But then one day, God revealed to him, you know, you can't be good enough. And here's what he said. Luther said, I hated that word, the righteousness of God, by which I had been taught according to the custom of all teachers that God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. He said, but one day, God spoke to my heart. And he revealed that the just shall live by faith. What that means. At last, meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God. Namely, by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. You see, the truth of the matter is, there's no one else to blame. I have a sin problem. The truth of the matter is, I can't fix everybody else. I'm not powerful enough. Jonathan Edwards, you know, the famous preacher that preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. He had another message where he, he spoke, and just in the middle of his message, he said, the devil is the biggest blockhead that's ever been. Because he thinks he is victorious. And Jesus is no longer in the grave. He is risen. And he has conquered death. And he is the victorious one. And that's the grace mindset. God wants us to live out of the truth that yes, I am a sinner, but he died for me. God wants us to live out of the truth. Yes, everybody's messed up, but I can't fix them. That's Jesus. <laughs> he needs. He, he's in the process of, of doing that work and, and and I don't live under that burden I, you know, but so often we live under shame don't we we say oh man how did I do that how could I do that how could God love me Ugh. or we shame others how could you do that and the the fact of the matter is God wants us to be a people of grace who live grace and who love out of grace that's his call to us to to motivate us as we Come to this section of the scripture as he mentions this list of people. He mentions a, a group of people we've covered earlier in the first part of chapter 16. And those were people he physically was not near. He was thinking about what a blessing that they were to him. He was thinking about these people and he was thinking, boy, I'd love to be able to spend some time with, with Phoebe or I'd love to spend some time with Timothy. And, and, and you know, the list goes on. These are people who were physically there as he was going through a difficult time. These were people who, who came by. Paul, I brought you lunch, Paul. Paul, I just want to sit with you for a while. Or, Paul, you've really been a blessing to me. These were people who, who were physically in Paul's life. And, and he's, he's thankful for them. And just go through these and, and mention them. Um, he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings. Timothy, the one he calls a son, one he thought of as his very own son, working together in the cause of Christ. And then he mentions Lucius. Um, we don't know for sure, but we think maybe from Acts 13, that, uh, as a matter of fact, as you look at this group of people, most of the time you can go back to uh, the book of Acts, to get some insight. And Acts 13 starts out and talks about the evangelists and the prophets and teachers that were set aside for God. They had set aside Paul and Barnabas and they were 
praying for them that God would fill them with the Spirit and empower them to do His mighty work. And, and so possibly we, we believe that this is the guy who, who was a man of Cyrene, Lucius. Possibly he was one of those first evangelists that God got a hold of his heart. And now he was there giving his blessing to Paul. And Paul must have thought back to that, that man of God who came to set him apart, who had been fasting and praying that not only that Paul would do God's work, but that God would work in Paul. So, so he, he thought back. And isn't it great as you think of those people? Those wonderful type of people. And then he mentions Jason. Turn me to Acts chapter 17. He's probably thinking about this guy, Jason. Paul's preaching and he and Silas and God's working. Starting in verse 5 here, it says, But the Jews were jealous. They rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They all are defying Caesar's decree, saying there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. He thought of Jason, this guy who had invited him into his home. He was a friend. He was a guy who was willing to take a risk. He was a guy that was real. He didn't just show up for some meeting that didn't cost him anything. He didn't show up to a building that wasn't connected to the rest of his life. This happened in his home. How could Paul not you know, love a guy like that? He can't help but but love these kind of people. <laughs> um, then he goes on back to Romans 16. He mentions Sosipter. And we don't know for sure. There's uh, some who believe back in Acts 20, verse 4, that this is the guy that um, he's talking about here. real briefly it was a tough situation for Paul he in Acts 19 there was a riot in Ephesus and they basically were keeping quiet trying to stay out of trouble some of the trouble died down and then Paul was making a decision to to leave that area and then to travel on to Greece anyway we read in the start of Acts 20 it says when the uproar had ended Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people. And finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea. Or many mentioned maybe this is the same guy. The guy who 
just soaked in encouragement from Paul and said, uh, I know there's a thread. I want to go with you. I want to be a part of this, Paul. You've, you've impacted my life, and, and I think what you're doing is right, and, and I want to be with you. Uh, next, I better speed up here. Uh, we've got uh, the guy who wrote this letter. It is, I mean, this is just great here. This is uh, Iturtius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. There are many believe that old Paul had some trouble with his eyesight and couldn't see. And so he had this guy, Tertius, who took dictation, who wrote these words. He says, I Tertius. The word Tertius in the Latin means third. Many of the slaves had names that were numbers. Why? Because they were property. They were insignificant. And here's the guy who by many were considered to be, he was considered to be insignificant. He says, I third. As I sit here and I write this. It just goes to show nobody's insignificant as far as God is concerned. If you're third or 303 or 3 million and 3, you matter. You matter. And, and, and so this, this guy mattered. There's, you know, there's no, nobody. Hey, he's in the scriptures. That's something. Pretty powerful thing there. And, and then he, he speaks and he says, uh, Gaius, look what it says about this guy whose hospitality... I and the whole church here enjoy sending you his greeting. Don't you just love a good host? You say, man, I like to go over there because when I go over there, they feed you. I mean, they feed you. And, 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 and you just feel like you belong there. Oh, man, people have that. What a great gift. I love people to get hospitality. Don't you? They're great. And then he mentions Erastus. He says, who is the city's director of public works? Erastus. He was a city, had a good city job, and he was a director. And matter of fact, they um, found part of a road near Corinth and inscribed on the marble, it said, Erastus laid this pavement at his expense. This was a guy who had some means. He paid for a highway through there. He loved God. And Paul remembered him, as a, I'm sure, as a generous brother in the Lord. And then the last one he mentions here, our brother Cordus. There are a lot of scholars that think old Cordus was the brother to Tertius. Tertius in the Latin means third. Cordius means fourth. Little brother. It's a, I don't know for sure if this is little brother or not. But he's there with Paul. And then he's making an impact. Um, Paul's life. All right, let me wrap this thing up here. Uh, some truths here. First, we cannot deny the existence of evil. Evil is at work around us. Uh, you know, it's uh, interesting here up in verse 20. He, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And, of course, we wait. And so often we, we get depressed and we think, God, hurry and come and crush that rascal. He's driving me crazy. And there are some scholars that I had read. I thought this was an interesting perspective that, the soon is not merely speaking about when we take care of this, Lord, and crush Satan under your feet. But it is a reference to when God gets started, it's going to happen soon. Just bam. It's over. He thinks he's so tough, but once God gets started, bam. He take care of it. 
Secondly, uh, we need not fear or be intimidated by evil. You know, it says in the Scripture, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The devil is like a roaring lion. He's looking for whom he may devour. But we have a Savior and a Lord who no power. His resurrection power always trumps. You know, you, you read a good book. I know a lot of times we have these books and stories and movies. The, the realism. Forget the realism. I want the happy ending. And praise be to God, we have a happy ending. That's what we learn. Uh, I remember years ago reading, and you know, this kind of stuff, it does shake you and remind you that uh, he was sitting beside a guy that was praying. And so he said, it's so good to meet somebody else who prays, who loves God. This guy said, oh, no. He said, I'm a Satanist. He said, I'm praying that there'll be 3,000 pastors' families ending divorce this year. Wow. There is evil. but We don't have to be intimidated by that evil because we have a God who's victorious. And, and the last one here, and then I'll close. We will not personally experience victory until we appropriate that grace. It can't be a fact. It's got to be a part of our lives, guys. It's got to be our hope. It's got to be where our confidence goes. Close with a story uh, that I think beautifully illustrates this. It's from Steve Brown's book, A Scandalous Freedom. And it's a story that goes back to the days of the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln is at a slave auction. There's a very attractive young female African woman who's being auctioned off. Abraham Lincoln bids on her until he is able to purchase her. She comes down to her new master, and she's got a look of hatred in her eyes. Steve Brown writes, you can only imagine what she thought. You know, Here's another rich woman white man who wants to use me and discard me. Brown writes, as Lincoln walked off with his property, he turned to the woman and said, you're free. Yeah, what does that mean? It means you're free. Does it mean I can say whatever I want to say? Yes, replied Abraham Lincoln smiling. It means you can say whatever you want to say. Does it mean, she asked incredulously, that I can be whatever I want to be? Yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does it mean, the young woman said hesitantly, that I can go wherever I want to go? Then said the woman with tears welling up in her eyes, I think I'll go with you. That's the gospel. You see, you come to the place where you realize you're a slave to sin. And Jesus says, in me you're free. And you understand and you say, well, why do I want to go anywhere else? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in Jesus we are free. As your word says in Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man. Thank you, God. And I just pray this morning for one here who has been thinking about Jesus, but has not found that freedom, has not trusted the one who sets us free to forgive sin in their lives. Why not now? There's nowhere else to go. Why not this morning say, Jesus, I think I'll go with you. That's my heart, that's my prayer. As this altar is open, may those who are burdened come and find the mercy of the God who says, I forgive. May those who need to share with this body of Christ follow God's leading and come and share what you want to do. Father, may we just respond to the call of your spirit this morning. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray.